You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this podcast, The Missing Link, What Happens When Christianity Fades? Hi, I'm Ken Hunter, the Church Doctor, here to talk about why Christianity grows, plateaus, begins to decline, and fades away in one area of the world and another, in one century and another. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the Christian movement. It began, as you know, in the first few centuries in the Mediterranean world, and in a very short time, a remarkable time, it spread from city to city and from place to place throughout the Mediterranean world. Just in a few centuries, it was phenomenal growth. You look at that area today, what about Christianity? Uh, Not so much. The same would be true of the Eastern Orthodox churches in Eastern Europe, north into Russia. Immaculate and ornate buildings, unbelievable remnants of a vibrant faith, now empty. Catholicism. When the church reached Rome, Rome became Christian to a great extent. Not everybody but a lot of people, so much so that it became the centerpiece of Christianity. And it spread. It spread throughout Europe. Throughout Europe, over the centuries, Christians built massive cathedrals that are still visible today. And you can visit them. I do. And I love them. I love that architecture. I love that grandeur. I love that those people must have been really hummed about Christianity to build those places of worship. But today, when it comes time for worship, they are mostly empty. They have become tourist attractions of a day gone by. Well, then, in the midst of Catholicism came the Reformation, which was a great boost to the Christian movement. Martin Luther got busy in his Bible, and he began to clean up the drift of theology in an effort to get back to Scripture. And it wasn't just him. There were other people. The Reformation recognized faith that travels best when it's in the heart language of the target audience. So in each country, the Bible was translated into the language of the people. Everyday people could get it. It wasn't that goofy Latin that was hard to understand. Yet what about today? Throughout much of Europe, the European continent is primarily secular. There are a few exceptions, but by and large, the church is just a shadow of its former image. In the UK, United Kingdom, England, and Scandinavia, the church was vibrant. Again, you see these wonderful cathedrals, 
now empty. But back in the day, there were great leaders. I mean, really movement people like John Wesley in London started the whole movement of Methodism that continues today and is a powerful force in many places. St. Patrick in Dublin, Southern Ireland, started a movement of his own, a tremendous missionary guy who was well-known, and, and I've been to St. Patrick's Cathedral, a, a wonderful place, which is now pretty much a museum. And you can go around the church and see all the different displays that show the thrill of that movement that really changed most of Ireland. Tremendous. What is the state of the church today in America? Because you see, when you look at those former places in the European continent, Christianity flourished. That's easy to see. Then it waned. And now it's just marginal, a marginal part of life on the European continent. So what about here in the United States? Well, this is not easy news to share. Research by the Gallup organization started in 1937. They began asking a question every few years, and the question was simple and general. Do you happen to belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque? That was the only question. It's not an in-depth research issue about Christianity, but it it is valid when you do it every few years over a long period of time. So, starting in 1937, they asked this question every three to five years. And you can see a graph that shows the validity of this minor research over time. And what you see is that from 1937, the church... And, and these organizations uh, where people were responding that they happened to belong to, uh, when they were asked that it was fairly strong, about two-thirds of the country. Then after World War II, when the troops came home, the percentage of people who said, yes, I happen to belong to a religious institution, actually reached a high point of 60 to 70%. Let's fast forward to today. The Gallup poll for 2020 was reported in the spring of 2021. And for the first time since the research started in 1937, the percentage of who belonged to a religious institution dropped below 50%. In the spring of 2021, the response to the same question was 47%. Now, remember, this general research doesn't measure who actually attends a religious institution. It only measures those who say they belong to one. It doesn't mean they go. It doesn't mean they participate. It doesn't even measure what they believe. But it is a barometer over time that means something. And the something is 
a sad picture of decline. At Church Doctrine Ministries, we consult churches. When we interview a cross-section of the congregation, we learn a lot. For example, in one of the types of interviews that we do, and we do many different types, in one of the types, we sit across from the table from someone who looks old enough to have adult grown children. And when we're in that session, that kind of a session with those kind of people, we ask a set of unique questions. And we begin with the question, do you have adult children? And for those who say yes, we ask, did they grow up in this church? And in most cases, the people have been around long enough at that church that they would say, yeah, they grew up in this church. So then we ask the question, were they involved in the church as they were growing up? And if they say us, yes, we say, we ask, well, in what ways? And the usual answer is, well, they worshiped with us. Uh, they went to Sunday school. They were in the church youth group. And then we ask, are they in this church now? Do they worship at this church now? And most often, as you can imagine, the parent says, no, now they live in a different city or different state. Then we ask, do your children regularly attend a church, any church, any kind of church? And at this point of our interview, we look closely at the person's facial expression. And I don't know how to put this into words. You'd have to be there to get it, but it's awful. All of a sudden, they, they, their face shows significant disappointment. We even have people that break down in tears, both women and men. And they talk a little bit about how their children are no longer active in the life of a church, any church. And at this point, many of these Christian parents mention something like this. Our grandchildren aren't even baptized, and it bothers us terribly. To interview these people with adult children, honestly, is a gut-wrenching scenario of a lost generation, of the decline of the church, of the ineffectiveness of Christians to even reach and keep the next generation. It's just one slice of a bigger pie, a slice of statistics that, that reflects the decline, the wane of the church that once flourished at a much greater level. And we could talk all day about the impact that has on the way a nation runs and how it operates and crime and belief systems and health systems and marriages and everything that has to do with life. And if you're a Christian, you believe that spirituality is important. 
and you know it personally. So it begs the question, why does Christianity flourish and then wane and then decline? How is it this happens in nation after nation, continent after continent? Christianity is introduced, it grows, it flourishes, and then what happens? It wanes. Well, the answer to that, unfortunately, is complicated. Yet, it is also predictable. Before I explain our understanding of this, I want to give you a, a short lesson about the Greek language from the New Testament. The Greek in the New Testament has a word Logos, L-O-G-O-S. It means, in a basic sense, word. It also has the word theos, which is the word for God. So, the word theology is the word for words about God, or the study of God. That's theology. Now, I promise, we're not getting to the issue about why Christianity flourishes and over time wanes through this theology lesson, but hang with me for a few minutes. There's an African proverb that says, the Bible is like a river, so simple a child can wade, so complex that an elephant must swim. That's kind of the way the teaching of Scripture is. And I'm getting to where we're going here, but I want to share, when you study theology, the study about God of the Bible, there are several other teachings, other logos, other words, other areas of study that are part of the comprehension of Scripture. One is called soteriology. Basically, that's the word or the study of salvation. Another one is ecclesiology. There's a whole lot of teaching in the Bible about ecclesiology or the study or the words about what it means to be church. And then, in addition to some of these large areas of Bible teaching, there is, in all the different and beautiful and wonderful teachings of Scripture, there is this one called missiology. Missiology, as you might guess, is the massive bits and pieces of Scripture found all over the Bible, about how to effectively reach unbelievers for Jesus. From missiology, we get the word mission. And believe me, there's a lot to learn. I worked to learn missiology, how to lead my church in mission when I was first in the ministry. And, and what I did is I went to grad school for three years, two weeks at a time, three or four times a year for three years. And for each two-week period, I had to read about 2,000 pages before I went. And I had to write a 50-page paper when I returned. And the paper had to be about what I learned about mission, missiology, and how I would apply it to the church that I pastored. And uh, boy, did it work. That's an issue 
for another podcast, but it was wonderful what happened to our church under challenging circumstances. Missiology is the extra training that's always provided for American pastors who feel called to be missionaries on the mission field, which is described as somewhere far away over there, but not here. So, let's get back to our topic. What does this have to do with the decline of Christianity over and over and over again in many places of the world and now right here? At Church Talking Ministries over the last several decades, we consulted over 1,700 churches from 78 denominations, non-denominational, and independent congregations in North America alone. Our work, like interviewing the parents of adult children, is very thorough. Here's what we have discovered, and, and this is phenomenally valuable. The real issue comes down to the training or the lack of training of ministers, pastors, and staff. In areas of the world where Christianity and churches are established, most Christians define the mission field as somewhere over there, somewhere far away. And that's true, but it's not all true. Because it implies that your own nation is Christian, which it is, or to some degree it is. But it never is entirely, right? So the worldview reflects the place for mission is far away over there. So pastors in the so-called Christian nation are not normally trained in mission, in missiology, the many ways to effectively launch mission to unbelievers. And so, since pastors aren't normally trained, they cannot train the people of their churches in how to be in mission. They haven't had the training. And before I got the training, even though I had a PhD in theology, I didn't know, and it was out of that frustration that I went for that training, that extra training. Now, there are some ministers who are trained for church work who feel God calling them to serve on what we actually call the foreign mission field. And those pastors, and there were a few in my class at the seminary, and I remember there were just a few, but they felt called to be in foreign missions. Well, when I graduated from the seminary, most of my classmates just went on to church, serve a church. But for those guys, those few guys that were were trained to to and, and called by God to be missionaries overseas, they went on after the uh, whether Bible school or seminary. And then go on to a special training at a mission school and what they learn is missiology, which is what I learned because I was frustrated in my church in the inner city of Detroit and nothing seemed to work. 
And so I learned missiology a different way. But I learned it for America. But what about pastors in established churches in our own country? They can't teach their people what they don't know. Missiology, how to do effective mission, is literally foreign to them and therefore to the members of their churches. So what happens? Christianity eventually declines. This has got to be the devil's greatest trick. Now, there are some notable churches in America that are growing. And they're growing rapidly. And they're reaching unchurched people, not just people from other churches that just move their church address. There are actually pastors that have churches that are growing phenomenally. They're by no means the majority. They're a small minority. But what you see if you look closer at these churches, they are led by pastors who also somehow or somewhere got training in missiology. And they teach it and they preach it to those in their churches. For example, have you heard of a guy, a pastor, by the name of Rick Warren? His church is called Saddleback. It's in California. And now it's located in numerous locations. Well, Rick Warren was my classmate in mission school. You may never hear that from Rick. It may be just assumed but the reason his church has grown so much, so large, in so many locations, is that he went through missiology when I did. And we were classmates. If you want to learn, and if you want the people of your church to learn about missiology, check out the SEND movement www.thesendmovement.com Might be for you, it might not be for you. It might be for your church, it might not be for your church. But whatever you do, don't believe the lie that we are a Christian nation. Go to a mirror in your house. Look yourself in the eye and say out loud, I am a missionary. And say it until it becomes part of your desire, your passion, your hunger to learn a little more about Christianity that changes the world one person at a time. So do something about it. There is a lot at stake. Your church, your children, your grandchildren, your nation, and our future. There is an old statement you've probably heard before. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Guess what? We can teach basic missiology to pastors and church staffs 
and everyday Christians. It can be done. It's not rocket science. Wherever you see a genuinely healthy, sustainable, growing church, you'll find a core group of people who are mission-equipped, engaged in mission efforts, making mission decisions. Again, missiology is not rocket science. It's developing a permeating atmosphere. It is as much caught as it is taught. Mission is a movement that begins with a small group of committed Christ followers who have a heart for people who are far from God. It doesn't take a whole church. It doesn't take everybody. Just a small group of people can be an enormous difference for any church. Jesus started with 12. When the main thing is the main thing, the movement moves. Churches grow. Christianity spreads. And nations change. One person at a time. <laughs> Jesus made it simple and clear. He said in John twenty twenty one. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The word sent and the word send is the word mission in Greek. Don't kid yourself. Don't sell yourself short. You can be used by God to move the movement. Check it out, thesendmovement.com. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.